Thanks so much for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more information on our sermon series or any of the other things that we're working on, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. So on this episode today, you've just got me, uh, Pastor Chris, or just you can just call me Chris, I'm fine with that too. And I'm just going to walk through Hosea quick as a, a brief overview and sort of close off this part of the book and in a couple of episodes uh, following, you're going to hear various other arguments and things to think about with Hosea. But for now, let me just give you the overview of the whole book sort of let that sit so you can think about it and, and see the overall storyline. So a couple of things that I usually ask myself when I read a book of the Bible. First is, what is the purpose of the book, right? What is the purpose of this particular prophecy or this particular letter or this particular historical you know, record or account? What What is happening that we're supposed to be reading and thinking about? And so what is the purpose of Hosea? Well, the purpose of Hosea is to call Israel to just be better. And the hope is that Hosea's message will lead them to a place where idol worship is not desired. It is something that is rampant throughout Israel. And Hosea is a prophet to the northern tribes. If you remember our Bible walkthrough from a couple of years ago, there is the kingdom of Israel, which is all 12 tribes. But then shortly after Solomon's death, his son make some bad decisions that break the kingdom in half. And so you have two tribes that become the tribe of Judah or the nation of Judah. And then on the north part of Israel, you've got 10 tribes that become the kingdom of Israel or the tribe of Israel. And so this idea here is these two people groups are from the same bloodline, but yet they don't agree with each other at all. And one of the things that Jeroboam, the first king of the northern tribes, Israel, one of the things he does is builds these special sacrificial places in Dan and in Bethel. And the goal there is that it will actually stop the northern tribes from going down into Jerusalem to take part in the temple worship. And by doing that, idol worship just begins to run rampant in the northern kingdom. So Hosea Someone who is serving the northern tribes looks around, is led by the Lord and led by the Holy Spirit to have this conversation and to sort of scream at everyone to listen to him, to make sure that they don't worship idols anymore, that they move on from what they're doing. The problem is, and what we know happens in history, is they won't do this, and judgment is coming, which is one of the major themes of Hosea. And the the call, the desire is that God loves his people so much that he even loves them to the point where he'll stop them from doing things that are not good for them. And if you just think about God's sovereignty for a second and what that means, that's pretty amazing is that if we are in rebellion long enough that eventually God will redirect us. And I don't necessarily mean that in, in, in a personal term, you know, there could have been generations of individuals that walked away from the Lord and were met with judgment. But 
enough generations have gone by that now God is done with this. We're done having this conversation. We're done, you know, discussing your idol worship. I'm done warning you. This is it. And at times the book is very graphic and at times it's very difficult to read. There's passages about people being struck in the desert and crying out. There's passages about people coming and stomping children and and dashing people against the rocks. Uh, For example, in chapter 10, they have, you have plowed iniquity in verse 13. You have reaped injustice. You've eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people and your fortresses shall be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Beth El, because of your great evil. So I know a number of individuals who have used passages like that in Hosea and elsewhere to sort of make a case for how bad God is and how he's, his, the way that he brings about judgment is not very nice. God really isn't a God of love, that sort of thing. And I, that's not really what's happening here. If you think about it in a different way, God has called his people to be true to him, to be holy, to actually walk with him and do what he's calling them to do. And if they choose not to do it long enough, God will bring the judgment that's coming to them regardless, right? I mean, if you pass away and you're in rebellion against God, you're going to face judgment. Well, facing that judgment here and now actually might save later generations. It's one of the questions that you must wrestle when you look at our culture or things that are happening in our world and you say, I, this is so far from what God would want. What do I do? There, God is going to take care of it at some point. The question we must wrestle is how involved do we get at this point? How involved do we jump into this whole problem and figure out a way to fix it? Do we herald the Lord's way to people to the point where they give up what they're doing and, and decide to follow him? I don't have answers for that at this point. But I'm just telling you, I know this is a thing that we all wrestle with and a thing that we all struggle with. So at times when the book is very graphic and very difficult, it leaves us kind of just saying, what do we do with that? And like I said, if you think about it in the long run, God's judgment here is actually helpful, not hurtful. But his people understand that. The people who aren't following God at this point don't understand that. So most of the problem with Hosea as well is this request from God to Hosea. A lot of people get tripped up. Why would God ask a man who's a holy man to marry someone who is living the lifestyle that that Gomer is living, right? She's a woman of whoredom is what it says in chapter one. So this trips people up. It it makes a lot of interesting things for us to, to ponder and think about. You know, the first one that I think about is this makes a very unique point, right? If, if Israel is running off at chasing after other gods, that's something that, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, someone who's, who's a part of the world of whoredom is doing, they're running after individuals to get their, their value, their identity, their fullness from this other individual. Well, in many ways, that's exactly what Israel's doing when they chase after other gods. They're not getting their identity from the one true God. They're doing what they want to do. So in that sense, it's a really unique picture that makes a lot of sense. We also don't know the rest of the story. I think this is a kind of an important thing for us to wrestle. You know, it could be that Hosea was in love with Gomer, you know, and please understand, we have no record of this in the, in the biblical text whatsoever. 
So I'm just speculating here for a minute to kind of show you the various routes that a scholar might go and might think about this. But let's say that Hosea was in love with Gomer from when she was a little girl. Let's say they grew up together in the same town. And let's say that she ran away and started doing things that were not positive, that were not running with the Lord. And let's say that Hosea is running with the Lord and he looks at Gomer and he's just thinking, if only she would be redeemed. Well, I could make the case that there's this possibility that Gomer actually was prayed for by Hosea and Hosea's response of marrying her is God's way of redeeming her, which would be really beautiful. And I, I, that'd be even cooler picture, although we don't have that in the text. I'm just saying that that's one possibility. It's also possible that he looks back later on the fact and he realizes that all of this attraction he has for this woman is God's will. All that's true. And, and so this is beautiful. You know, let's say that he just falls in love with this woman, marries her, and then later God gives him a word and says, I wanted you to do this and here's why. We don't know how this played out. All we know is that in chapter one, he is told to go marry this woman, and she does uh, marry him, and she has children for him. And they name the children very odd names, partly to have us wrestle with what we think of a name and what God is trying to say through his people. But, uh, you know, that doesn't really answer the question. Why would God do this? People have asked me this, uh, you know, throughout the whole book of Hosea. It's often a question that I get asked by people who just read through the Bible and they hit Hosea and they go, what is going on? Well, there are some that don't believe this actually happened. Some have gone for what we would call an allegory or a parable approach. And you can understand how that would happen. Someone would look at Hosea and they would say, okay, the story is crazy. It doesn't make it less of a biblical story for God to tell a story through a prophet, right? So imagine if Hosea is the character and he's the preacher, so to speak, and he stands up and gives this amazing story led by the spirit of, you know, his hypothetical or, you know, this parable story of, of the woman that he married. I have a hard time believing that for a number of reasons. You know, I could be wrong, but I trust God's word to not typically be allegorical. There are very few times that a parable just kind of comes out of the blue. Almost every parable that Jesus gives, for example, is actually tied loosely to some passage of the Old Testament. Uh, some of them are loosely. Some of them are, are quite overt, actually. There's a story or two, you know, that you'll read about Jesus saying it, and you might think, this is such a unique teaching, this is amazing. And then you go back and read the Old Testament, and you realize, oh, no, actually, Jesus is just pulling from this passage in Isaiah, or this passage in Jeremiah, or this is clearly a connection to the Garden of Eden. And Jesus is using these phrases and these ideas, these parables, to paint a big picture of what God's doing. And when he's doing that, that's different than, say, what the text is trying to accomplish, right? I mean, imagine if you found out that Abraham was really just a big allegory. Would that change your perspective of the Old Testament? I think it would drastically, right? There's a there's a piece of the puzzle there that Israel's not Israel if Abraham's not their father. And so you would wrestle with that and you'd think, I, I don't know if I can you know, deal with that in that way. And the reason why I'm saying I have a trouble with that is there's no point in the, the book of Hosea where it says this is a parable. Now, granted, I could be wrong and it could just be some type of parable or some kind of you know allegory you know, the allegorical approach has a benefit here, but very rarely does God's word just live on that plane. Typically what God's word seems to be doing is using experiences from real life and then drawing a spiritual conclusion for us and then helping us make sense of it. That's even what's happening with Jesus's parables. 
you know, there's, there's a piece of what they're saying that is realer than real. And so I, for those reasons alone, I would start to say, I don't know that Hosea is a parable, but I understand why some scholars would take that approach and some have, but I really look at this and say, I think it's a real story. And I not only think it's a real story, Hosea really existed and this woman paints a beautiful picture. So why would God just make all that up for the sake of just making it up? Why wouldn't he just tell the story? So like I said, there's a number of approaches to find out how and why Hosea would have married Gomer, and some of them are more plausible than others. But you can understand that there's there's really no reason for us as Christians to say, oh, this is totally fake. None of this really happened. Even for God to say to someone, I want you to go marry a woman in this type of position, doesn't mean anything negative toward Hosea. And it, it there's a redemptiveness to it that paints Gomer in a totally different light that's so beautiful that I'm okay with it. It, it. There's no reason why this story would be crazy. You know, I've had friends who are pastors who marry people with really, uh, how do I want to say it, sordid backgrounds, right? Some really interesting details of their past. And God has used their relationship to redeem this situation and to become a great testimony to other people. So I would like to think that that's really more what's happening with Hosea. I would even be open to as I preached, uh, talking a little bit about Hosea redeeming his wife in chapter three, I'm open to that not being Gomer and being a different person that he brings into her house or his house. And she never actually is with him in a, in a sexual way from there forward. But either way, I, I'm open to either. And I'm just saying that's, that's one possibility. So really quick to, to end this podcast and to talk about the idea of the Hosea overview. Here's the story. The first three chapters talk about Hosea being this prophet of God who is asked by God to go marry this woman and hoard him. He does so. She has kids with him. And then he has to redeem either her or some other woman in chapter three. It's really beautiful. It's an amazing picture. And God's whole point with the whole thing and what he says in chapter two is, I am doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because I want to paint a picture for you. I want you to see just how much I love you, that even though you are far from me, even though you are in this position, like Gomer is in this position, I love you so much that I will redeem you at all costs. I will make it work. And then chapters 4 through 13, for the most part, with the exception of one chapter we're going to talk about in a second, 4 through 13 is this series of indictments versus judgments. And so you can imagine this as a sort of a cosmic court case. God is talking about his people and he's trying to help them see, this is what I think about you. This is why I think this about you. And here's how I'm going to judge you. And it goes back and forth. So there's an indictment followed by a judgment, indictment followed by a judgment, so on and so forth. Multiple capitulations of this, multiple moments for us to stop and consider. First, do these indictments impact me? And second, are these the type of judgments that are coming my way? It's a very valid thing for us to process and think about. So as I'm reading Hosea, typically I spend some time just going through chapters 4 through 13 and just asking myself those tough questions. Are there areas of my life that are not lining up with what God would want? And what are the ways in which God might show his judgment to me one day on these things? But then chapter 11 is the outlier. It talks so much about God's love, how much God cares for his people, how much he has them. He says this in verse 4 of chapter 11, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. Think about that, how much he cares for his people, how much he loves them. 
that he's willing to bend down to their level, spend time with them, walk with them. So chapter 11 is in the middle of all these indictments and all these judgments, just to remind you, even the indictments and the judgments are because of God's love. And I think part of the reason why the Lord laid this on the the author's heart and why Hosea gave us that chapter is to sort of remind us at the beginning of the story, right? No matter how much indictments and judgments would be given to Gomer, she is loved by God. She is loved by Hosea. She's redeemed by him. And then that leads into chapter 14, where God's love is reminded to us and the fact that God is going to pull his people back, that his promises are true, that he's going to remind people of what they're all about. And the key point of this is verse 9, for the ways of the Lord are right, the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. The idea is the ways of the Lord are right. There's really no option here. He's either right or he's wrong. You're either going to follow him or you're not. But to process this book says, if you know the truth and you're choosing not to do what the truth is telling you to do, judgment's coming. It doesn't work out well for you. And that's not to say that if you're living the Lord's way that things will never go bad for you. That's not what I'm saying. But we all know what it's like to play with fire. And there's some part of our our lives that as we mess with sin, we think we're going to get away with it forever. Or I know I've I've mentioned this before. There's even this lie in my heart sometimes, I'm going to be forgiven for it. So what's the big deal? And you're forgetting about the fact that what you're doing is you're dishonoring God and you're lowering yourself. You're treating yourself less than, you're, than you deserve. You're treating yourself less than you should be. You're gomering yourself. You're, you're taking what is beautiful about yourself. You're taking what is amazing about yourself and you are lowering yourself to some other standard. And you're choosing to live in that bondage rather than listen to the truth and walk out in the truth, letting that voice lead you to the pasture of love and peace and kindness. And the book of Hosea is all about that, reminding us that God's way is good. You're going to stumble if you don't follow the ways of the Lord. So is that following or is that stumbling what's happening in your life? That's the question. So my hope is that you'll listen to this and you'll say, I want to be someone who's following the Lord. That doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time. That doesn't mean you're always going to be perfect. It's not what we're saying, but it just means that you're going to be focused on the right things and do what God's wanting you to do. Honoring him along the way, trusting him with everything, and believing that he's got your back. This is important for us to to process and consider, and my hope is that as you listen to this podcast and enjoy this episode, that the Lord will speak to your heart. 